Good evening. Take your Bibles with me. Turn to Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 tonight. Thank you very much, Pastor, for the opportunity to preach. I would much rather preach this week than go hunting, so here I am. I don't know. It's not my, my, not my idea of a vacation, but I'm glad he got to get away and do that. Psalm chapter number 51. We're going to begin by reading our passage this evening, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into our lesson together. Psalm chapter 51. We'll begin reading in verse number one. The Bible says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the, t- uh, the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and I ask that you would be with us. I ask that you'd speak to our hearts, and I ask that you would guide me as I speak. Would you help me to share from your word clearly? Would you speak through me, and would you use me in spite of myself? Help us to be ready to respond to you. May you work in our hearts this evening, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met somebody who's hard to read? Uh, Maybe there are someone you know, and you like to uh, maybe make a joke, crack a joke with them, and you just don't get the response that you uh, thought you'd get from them. Or maybe uh, you're talking to them, you just can't get a feel for what they're thinking or what's going on inside their brain. You're not really sure if they're like you, if they're too fond of you. They're just a person that's hard to read. How many ever met someone like that? Just someone who's a little hard to read? Well, I am the opposite of that kind of person, I think, anyways. I'm pretty much an open book. This week, somebody told me, they said, hey, they said, hey, can, can we talk? I just feel like something's, uh, something's up, something's going on with you. They said, I could just see it all over your face. They even told me this. They said, you don't do a very good job of hiding it. And I don't. If something's going on, oftentimes it's uh, written all over my face. It's uh, on my sleeve, you could say. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Something was off in my spirit. And tonight I want to preach to you a message that I've called, you can see it there on the screen, keeping a right spirit in a rundown world. A right spirit in a rundown world. We live in a world, especially in the day and age we live in today, where people are frustrated People are tired, feeling run down, especially as we get to November, almost December of this crazy year that was 2020. No doubt people are feeling run down, and it's hard for us to keep a right spirit. And so I want to look at the life of David and look at this psalm together. But as we start, I want us to be on the same page. And so I want to look at a definition of of what I'm talking about when I say a right spirit. What do I mean by the word spirit? The Bible here, uh, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the Bible word for spirit is ruach. In the New Testament, we see that Greek word, which is pneuma. It carries the idea of the mind, the spirit, or the disposition. We're going to define it like this, the qualities that form in the character of a person. 
their thoughts and their attitudes. That's their spirit. It's their disposition. It's the attitude that they bring to life. You know, 2020 has been a year that's been a test of our spirits. It's been difficult at times to maintain and to keep a positive and a right spirit. I believe that 2020 has been a great magnifying glass and a great revealer. At times, the isolation, the frustration, perhaps the financial stress of the year that we've gone through has uh, shone a magnifying glass on some of the problems that have already been there in our hearts. It's revealed to us who we are and what we're struggling with, and at times it's hardened our spirits. And it's been hard to maintain a positive and a right attitude when it feels like so much is going wrong. When the world is run down, how can we stay right? You know, this word ruach, this word spirit, is the same word that's used in reference to the Holy Spirit. We see it in this passage both referring to our spirit, our disposition, our attitude, and to the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. And, you know, uh, that word is also defined as, uh, in, or translated in the Bible as the word wind. Spirit, wind, breath. When the Bible talks about the fact that it's God breathed, it's the wind. And so sometimes we even use that word wind to define what the Holy Spirit is. Maybe you've heard that. We say something like this. You know, the wind is something that we don't see, but rather we see the effects of it. We don't see the wind, but we can see the effects as it blows on the trees. We know it looking like winter today, but it was just fall a few weeks ago, a few days ago. And, you know, we don't see the wind, but we see the effects. We see the leaves on our front yards, right? We, we see the effects that the wind has in the world around us. And I can't look at you and see the Holy Spirit, but you can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can feel the effects of the Holy Spirit working on our hearts. It's the wind. It's something we do not see, but it's something we feel. I'd like to suggest to you tonight that your disposition, your spirit, is very similar. You walked in this evening, and it makes it even harder because you're wearing a mask, so I can only see about this much of your face, but I cannot see what spirit you walked in with this evening. I can't. I can't see what disposition or what attitude you carried with you when you came through the doors tonight. I, I can't see it. But if I was to spend a little bit more time with you, I guarantee you I would start to feel it. I could ask the ones who are closest to you, the ones who love you, your family and your friends, the ones who are around you every day, your coworkers, and they could tell me what kind of spirit it is that you carry. Not necessarily by looking at you, but by feeling the effects of your life. Just like the wind and just like the Holy Spirit, your spirit is not seen so much as uh, with our eyes, but felt in the way that you uh, treat and, and care and have impact on the people around you. I can't see your disposition, but I guarantee that if I spent enough time with you, I would feel it. I believe more than ever that this rundown world that we live in needs to feel the effect of a right spirit, of Christians, of people here in St. Thomas from Bible Baptist Church who go out into the world with a right spirit, who carry with them a, a good disposition, a good attitude, an encouraging spirit, a positive spirit, a, a holy spirit, one that will affect our families our church, our kids, our coworkers, everyone around us, they can feel it. You know, you look at the world, you watch the news, and you'll find out quickly that most do not have a right spirit. People are tired. People are frustrated. Tensions are high. The world is run down. You say the world does not have a right spirit. The question tonight is not whether or not the world has a right spirit. The question is whether or not you do. You see, we cannot be in control of the world and, and what they do, but we are in control of our own hearts, our own attitudes, and our own spirit. I had a teacher who used to say this. He said, we should not be surprised when the world likes, acts like the world. 
We should be surprised when Christians act like the world. I understand that uh, the news and the, the world does not have a right spirit right now, but do you? My desire tonight is that we would leave this place with the right spirit, right with God, right with others, and ready to make an impact because the people you come in contact with this week will feel the effects of your spirit. What kind of impact will you make? What kind of impact are you having? So this evening, I'd like to show you four statements about maintaining and keeping a right spirit in a rundown world. Number one, I'd like you to see this. A wrong spirit is natural in a sinful world. A wrong spirit is natural in a sinful world. We must understand the context of what's going on here in Psalm chapter 51. It's a psalm that's written by David, and David is writing this psalm right after he has committed a great sin with Bathsheba. It's one of uh, David's lowest moments in his life. God sends uh, the prophet Nathan to go to David, and Nathan uh, uses a story to paint the picture of the evil thing that David has done, and he, he uses a bit of a story, and he says, what would you do, David, if, if there was this person who had committed this terrible act, and David is distraught? He's like, that guy needs to pay. And then we can see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. I picture Nathan putting his finger in his chest, and he says, David, I'm talking about you. It's your sin. You're the one that's messed up. You, the anointed king of Israel, it's you. That's, that's the sin I'm talking about. It's in your life. And this psalm is a response from David to realizing the great sin that he's committed. It's David's return and remorse and repentance to God. Here in Psalm chapter 51, we see that in my Bible, in the inscription right below Psalm chapter 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is... This is David's repentance and return to the Lord. I want you to notice with me the first four verses here in uh, Psalm chapter 51. David says this, uh, Have mercy o, upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Do you notice the personal responsibility that David takes for his sin? He's not passing the buck or the blame. He's taking the responsibility on himself. He's saying, I am the one who is living in sin. It's my sinful spirit. It's my wrong spirit. It's me who's in the wrong. He's taking the responsibility for his sin upon himself. But I want you to notice verse number five. David says this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, I don't think this is David's attempt to say, you know what, it is my sin, but it's not my fault because I'm born with a sin nature. I don't think that's what David is saying here, but he's calling to remembrance and to attention the fact that he's not just a sinner because he's a sinned, but rather he sinned because he was born a sinner. You catch the difference there? He's not a sinner because he had sinned. He sinned because he was born a sinner. And can I remind you, church, that tonight all of us are born sinners, Romans 3.23, one of the verses that I'm sure most of you know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. David's realizing that his spirit is wrong and his spirit is sinful because he's a natural man who was born with a sin nature. He's a sinner not just by choice, but he's a sinner by birth. And so are we. His spirit needs to be restored to a right spirit because a wrong spirit is natural in a sinful world. You say, what does that have to do with us? May I remind you this evening that left to your own strength, your spirit is also a sinful spirit. 
You may say, I'm a positive person. I'm an encouraging person. That's my personality to be optimistic, and that's great. But left to your own strength and your own resources, you are no better than King David. We are all sinners. Our spirit is naturally sinful because we're born with a sin nature in a sinful world. It's who we are. It's not just by choice. It's by birth. For you, it may not be a lustful spirit. It may not be a murderous spirit like David who covered up his sin by taking care of uh, Uriah. But for all of us, it is a sinful spirit. And chances are that uh, God's not going to send a prophet to your house tonight to point his finger in your chest, but perhaps God would allow the Holy Spirit tonight to reveal in you a spirit that is sinful. Because chances are, as we got run down some point in this year that's been a crazy year, we've allowed a sinful spirit to take root in our hearts. And we're not in a right spirit with God. We're not where God wants us to be in our spirit and our disposition. And it's having an effect on our relationships, both heavenly and earthly. The people around us are feeling the effect of our sinful spirit. Perhaps for you, it's a spirit of discouragement, just looking at everything going on in the world. Or perhaps family struggles. Perhaps it's a rebellious spirit towards God or other earthly authority. Perhaps a bitter spirit toward those who see differently than you. If this year has taught me anything, it's that everybody has a different opinion. (laughs) I've learned that this year more than I ever knew before. And I think it's so easy to place and project our opinions on others and to think, why don't they see it the way I see it? Whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the year we're going through, whatever it is, we project our opinions and our thoughts and beliefs on others and we're bitter or frustrated or angry when they just don't see things the way we see them. Perhaps they're too loose or too strong or too uptight or too worried or not worried enough, too fearful, not fearful enough. And at times we grow bitter and look at everyone else through the lens of this critical and bitter and angry spirit. Perhaps that's what has crawled in and creeped into your life. Perhaps a critical spirit, an unwillingness to resolve conflict with those who have hurt you in your life. Or maybe you're just at the point by this time, by late November, you just have an angry spirit. Maybe... You had a lot of plans for this year. Maybe you're younger and looking forward to life and you think, man, everything I wanted to do, I didn't get to do. And you have a spirit of discontentment saying, God, what are you doing here? God, everything I wanted to do in life, you're not letting me to do. Why, why am I here? Your spirit of discontentment. I don't know what the sinful spirit is in your life. We know what it is for David. I don't know what it is for you. But I would encourage you right now to ask God to reveal it to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to be your Nathan and point his finger in your heart and say, God, what kind of sinful spirit has taken root in my life? And you say, well, I don't know if I have one. I'm not saying you do, but I'm saying you should take a careful look because a wrong spirit is natural in a sinful world. Now, if we've accepted Christ, we have a renewed nature, a new man, but that old man still has root in our life, and it's a daily battle. So let the Holy Spirit reveal that to you. Number one, a wrong spirit is natural in a sinful world. But number two, would you notice with me that a right spirit is obtained by the grace of God. We heard a great message this morning on the power, the life-changing power of the grace of God. And you know, just because a wrong spirit is natural doesn't mean that a right spirit is impossible. It just means that we can't obtain it on our own. It's not something that we can obtain in and of ourselves. It's something we must go to God for. And this psalm is a great picture of David acknowledging his sin and going to God for restoration, going to God for a renewed spirit. He says in verse number seven, purge me with hyssop 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. You see, those are passive things. He's saying, God, you wash me. God, you make me. God, you clean me. He's realizing he cannot restore a right spirit in and of itself. It's something that only God can do through his grace in our lives. God's love and his grace, which we heard about this morning, is strong and it's powerful. It allows us who are born sinners in a wicked world to be made right. It allows us to have a right spirit because a right spirit is a righteous spirit. And righteousness is not something we can obtain of ourselves. The Bible teaches us in Isaiah that our good works, our righteousness are as filthy rags. There's nothing we can do to obtain it ourselves. But I want you to see Romans 3.22. The Bible says this, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Second Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in all scripture, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, if we, were, if we go to God and accept him by faith, then he takes the righteousness of Jesus Christ and places that on our account. The, the Bible in Romans uses all kinds of banking terms. The fact that we had a debt that we could not pay and God put his righteousness on our account and took our sin on his account and he paid for it. Through him, we can be made righteous. Our wrong and sinful spirit can be restored. And David's saying, clean me, wash me, make me to be glad again. We are declared and made righteous by the work, the finished work of God on Calvary. Acknowledging our sin, our need for a Savior, and trusting in His finished saving work to cleanse us of our sins. You see, God is the God who makes uh, sin as white as snow. He's the God that makes uh, sinners into saints. He turns strangers into children. He makes broken people rejoice. David says that. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Listen to this statement. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I love that statement. I believe David is saying here, I'm broken over my sin. His sin has hit him in a way that it didn't before. He's broken over his sin. He's saying, God, you have to make me to rejoice again because I'm broken over my sin. I believe we'll not have a right spirit until we have a broken spirit. We will not have a right spirit with God until we are broken over our wrong spirit. Verse number 16 and verse number 17. Look, at, look with me at those verses here in Psalm 51. The Bible says this, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else will I, get it, would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. David says, hey, it's not a gift you're looking for. It's not my talents. It's not my money, my resources. That's not what God is looking for. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken heart, a broken spirit. One who says, God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God, wash me, cleanse me, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Make me new again. I'm afraid sometimes we come to church with our offering, but we don't give an offering. We're willing to give God the external, but the last thing we want to give God is our heart. I think of the New Testament when God talks about uh, the church who gave. He said they gave not as we hoped, but first gave of themselves. They gave their hearts. Yeah, sure, it's great to give our finances. It's great to give our energy, our resources, our time, our effort. That's all great. But if God doesn't have our heart, it's empty. It's vain. It's meaningless. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. You won't be right until you're broken. When was the last time that God broke you about your sin? 
And you said, God, I got a wrong spirit, a spirit of discouragement and bitterness and a spirit of anger, a spirit, a spirit of discontentment, and God, I got to get it right. I'm not leaving this place until I'm right with you, God. Would you clean me? Would you restore me? Would you uh, make me to be glad again? Maybe tonight you need to get broken over your sin. And if you're not broken, maybe you need to ask God to break you. David was broken over his sin. Because number one, we saw that a wrong spirit is natural in a sinful world. But number two, a right spirit is only obtained by the grace of God. I want us to see number three this evening that a right spirit is sustained by the power of God. A right spirit is sustained by the power of God. Perhaps you are here tonight and you uh, need to make a decision tonight to get right with God. Or perhaps you feel like you are right with God. But how can we stay right? How can we continue to be sustained in a right spirit, in a rundown world? As the year goes on, as the weeks and the days go on, as we interact with people all around us who are hurting and broken, and as we grow discouraged, how can we maintain a right spirit? That's what we want, to be faithful and to be consistent in a right spirit with God. I want you to vote, notice number, uh, verse number 12 with me. David says this, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. David does not ask God to take away his lust. He does not ask God to help him not to uh, sin or to uh, stare at his neighbor's wife or not to uh, kill his neighbor again. He doesn't ask God that. He asked him to restore the joy of thy salvation. David says, hey, help me to be restored to the joy of thy salvation. You were created for God's glory. That's your purpose on this earth, to give God glory, that God would get the glory from your life, and to have joy in a relationship with God. We can experience heaven on earth when we are experiencing fullness in a relationship with God. The joy of heaven is Jesus, and so as we walk with him on this earth, we experience the joy of heaven here today. That's what sustains and to keeps our right spirit. You see, our lives give God the most glory when we are most satisfied and joyful in Him. And David knew that if his life was to be right, a life that gave God glory, it would mean that he would have to find again his joy in Jesus. Not his joy in the world, not his joy in sin, not his joy in his neighbor, not his joy in the war or the battle or his job. No, his joy had to be found in Jesus. And the sin, the lust, that would take care of itself if he found his joy in Jesus. If he was sustained in the joy in a relationship with Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 10, the Bible says this. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that, you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jesus is saying, hey, if you fulfill my commandments, you'll abide in my love. My joy will remain in you and your joy will be full. A life that is following and abiding and living with Jesus is a life that is full of joy. God's joy is in us and our joy is full in him. It's a life that doesn't need to go looking for sin or looking for something else to find uh, acceptance or encouragement or sustainment. It's a life that is full. There's no room for the sin that David was struggling with. There's no room for the discouragement or the anger because we're full in joy with Jesus. Psalm chapter 16, 11 says this, Thou wilt show me the path of life. 
In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. David says this in verse number 11. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit with me. Or take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He's saying, hey, don't cast me away from you because I know the only way I could be restored and sustained in a right spirit and a right relationship is to be walking in fellowship with God, with his spirit living in us and us to be close to him, experiencing joy and fullness of joy in God. Nothing keeps a right spirit like a right relationship with God. Nothing will keep you from your sin like finding your joy in God. I believe so many young people, we work at the church primarily with young people, and I believe so many young people are looking to everything other than God for joy. As they grow up and look and try to figure out their identity and who they are in this world, they seem to want to try everything the world has to offer to find joy and happiness and peace and acceptance. They look for it in others. They look for it in sometimes substances. They look for it in relationships. And maybe some of you have gone down that road yourself and realized it's empty. True joy and true fullness of joy is found at the foot of Jesus. It's found in a right relationship with God. You see, David didn't ask necessarily for his circumstances to change. He asked for him to be restored to a relationship with God as he went along the journey. When Alom and I were in college, uh, our last year, we were trying really hard to get our school bill paid off. And we, we really needed to pay that bill off, and the day was getting closer. They would not let us graduate until our bill was at zero. And so we were getting closer, and that last semester, uh, I started doing, Aloma had been doing it longer than I was, but I started doing something they called Jewish ministry. So here's what it was. We went to school in California, and so on Saturdays, which was our only day off, you, you woke up at like quarter to five or five in the morning. And you'd go and you'd pack a, a backpack full, like as full as full could be, with literature, like these booklets of literature. And they'd put you on a bus. You'd leave like quarter to six, six o'clock in the morning. And they'd drive you like an hour and a half downtown Los Angeles somewhere, Beverly Hills, somewhere. It sounds very glamorous, but it's not. And you'd get off this bus at like seven in the morning. You have no idea where you are. Like, I'm not from that area. You dropped off somewhere in the hills of Los Angeles, bum this bus with a group of students that you hardly know and they're like we'll pick you back up in like nine hours and you spend the day just delivering literature and getting paid for it it was miserable it's hot it's sweaty you like you have no money and you have no they pack you a sack lunch and it's like cardboard sandwich like it's gross it's hot in your backpack all day you're with these people you don't know. It's just terrible. But we had to do it to pay off our school bill. And I gotta, I gotta just tell you, I had a terrible attitude. The first couple of weeks, I was like, I do not want to be here. I only did it because I needed to, I needed the money. That was it. I had a terrible attitude. My wrong spirit, I'm sure, could be seen by everyone on my team, felt by everyone on my team. I had no desire to be there. I don't like getting up early. I don't want to be hot and sweaty all day. I don't want to be on a bus. Like, what, what, what are we doing here? It was discouraging. It was frustrating. But something happened after my second or third week. Is, and this is what happened. I realized, you know what? I got to make the most of this. I'm here. I got to do it. I got to make the most of it. So I began to get to know uh, some of the people that I was working with. You know, these are people I really didn't know at school. People I didn't have any kind of relationship with. So I began to kind of talk a little bit more. Uh, try to get to know them a little bit more. Ask them about their life and where they're from. And 
And I begin to, over the weeks, build relationships and friendships. And some weeks you get to go on uh, the same group as someone you met before. And you get to kind of continue the conversation. And, and God began to work in my heart. He really did and challenged me about my attitude. And as the weeks went on, I, I still didn't like the work. But my attitude got a whole lot better. And you know, the circumstances didn't change. We still woke up early. It was still hot like the blazes. We still had a heavy backpack on all day. It was still nine hours of work. But something changed. Not the journey but rather the people and the relationship that I had as I went on the journey. You see, the people that I was walking with, with along the journey, the people I was doing the journey with, I built a relationship with them. And it was those conversations, it was the relationship, the friendship that sustained me and energized me to have a better attitude about the task at hand. And you know, in life, and sometimes we're going to have a year like 2020, and we hope 2021 will maybe be a little better, but sometimes there's going to be years like 2020, and I'm not here to tell you tonight that our circumstances are going to change. I'm here to tell you that if we have a relationship with Jesus, it makes the journey better. Because as we walk along with him and as we find our joy and our contentment and our fullness in who he is, he sustains us. He keeps us from sin. He keeps us from a wrong attitude and a frustrated spirit, and he keeps us right because we're walking with him. And we're in fellowship with him. It's not about the task at hand. It's not about the journey. It's about the relationship. It's heaven on earth. It's joy in Jesus. It's sustaining. And I want you to notice the end of that verse, uh, verse number 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. This phrase really jumped out at me this week as I was studying. Uphold me with thy free spirit. That's why I say that a right spirit is sustained by the power of God. David is saying, God, if I'm going to stay on the right path, if my spirit is going to stay right, you're going to have to uphold me. You're going to have to carry me. You're going to have to sustain me. It's got to be your strength and not my strength. The word free is also translated in the Bible uh, willing or willingness and also uh, with the idea of a prince or nobility. I really had a hard time wrapping my head around this word this week. But the best I can understand is that with the idea of willingness and the idea of, mo uh, of nobility is this, is that God is both ready and able to uphold us. He's both willing and he has the power to uphold and to strengthen us. That his spirit sustains our spirit. And if we walk in the spirit, that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. David's saying, God, your spirit must uphold my spirit with thy free spirit. Matthew Henry said this, a free spirit will be a firm and fixed spirit and will uphold us. The more cheerful we are in our duty, the more constant we shall be to it. I love that. The more cheerful, the more joy we find in the journey, the more constant we will be to it. Do you find yourself getting off path often in life, struggling with sinful spirits? It's because we're not finding our joy in Jesus. The more joy we find in the journey, the more constant we will be, be to it. And so we see that a right spirit is sustained by the power of God. But lastly, this evening, I want to give you this. A right spirit is the foundation for serving God. Verse number 13, the Bible says this, Then, right after he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. 
the only true and lasting motivation for a life of service is a life that is in right standing and relationship with God. A life that is captivated by and living for finding joy in the glory of God. You see, a natural outpouring of a life in tune with Christ is to share Christ with others. When, when I was young, my dad put a pool in our backyard. And uh, he put some, uh, like, uh, kind of like fountains in the corner coming out of the side. They didn't always work right. But the idea is, and you've probably seen something like this, in a, a fountain or a pool or a pond of some sort, that when, when one bowl fills up with water, then it pours into the next and into the next and into the next. That idea is that as we find our joy and our relationship with Christ, that the natural outpouring and outflowing of that type of joyful and sustained life is that we would serve God. Loving Him because He first loved us, serving Him because He first gave to us, forgiving others because He first forgave us, sacrificing for others because He first made the ultimate sacrifice for us, showing others our desire to love them because He showed us how much He loved us on the cross. That's why our mission at Bible Baptist Church is to see Christ and to share hope. And in that order, to see Christ and to share hope. Because a life that is finding joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and seeking after God, a life that has God and Jesus as its goal, is a life that naturally wants to share hope with others. That's what it's all about. Seeking Christ and sharing hope. We ought to be careful and I encourage you tonight to be careful to take note of in your life when the things that should be a delight become a duty. We ought to be very careful of that and be aware of that in our lives. It's easy to happen. All of a sudden, serving the way we used to serve is becoming a duty and no longer a delight. We ought to stop and ask ourselves why. Chances are it's because it's becoming something we're doing on the external instead of something that's flowing out of the internal heart of a right relationship with God. You ever met somebody who just seems like they just got Jesus all over them? You meet them and it's, you, just, you can tell they've talked with Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. They're encouraging you to live for Jesus. They just can't help it. And it doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem weird. It just seems natural. You can just tell this is a person that has a hold of Christ. Because that's a natural outflowing, outpouring of their life. That's what the psalmist is speaking of when he says, My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Serving God externally without walking with God internally leads to burnout and failure. Because we cannot give to others when we have not received first ourselves. Sometimes we, we make a duty out of the things in our life that should be a delight because there's no joy in serving Jesus. There's no joy in walking and being with Jesus. A pastor named Vance Pittman made this statement. He said, before God ever called us to go for him, he called us to be with him. We are called first to be disciples and then to be apostles. I heard a pastor on a podcast a couple weeks ago. His name was Josh Tice. He said this, and it really struck me. He said, as pastors, oftentimes we think that our number one responsibility is to preach in the pulpit on Sunday. And he said, sometimes pastors will neglect a walk with God all throughout the week, but ensure that they're there on Sunday to preach a message. He said, it would be far greater if you walked with God Monday through Saturday and didn't show up Sunday to preach 
the church might be confused and the church might be a little bit perplexed, but that would be far greater than showing up Sunday to give to others when we have not received first ourselves. Because we are called first to be disciples and then to be apostles. You see, a right spirit is the only foundation, the only lasting foundation for a life that serves God. And perhaps if we're feeling that the things that should be a, do, a delight to us are feeling more like a duty, it's because we're not finding our joy in Jesus. We're not feeling the, the, the truth and the, the fullness of joy in our relationship with Jesus. Because left to our own devices, as we started off the service by saying, we naturally bend towards sinful nature. We live in a sinful world, and we all have a sinful nature. A wrong nature is natural in a sinful world. And so the only way to sustain and serve for a lifetime is to be in right relationship with Christ. And David realized that through the encouragement of Nathan. And he said, God, you got to cleanse me. God, you got to restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. you got to clean me, purge me, hold me close. Don't cast me away. Don't take thy spirit, thy presence from me. Wash me thoroughly, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And so perhaps tonight you're struggling with a spirit of sin, a wrong spirit. And again, it may not be lust like David or murder. And probably no prophet's going to come to your house tonight and point on your chest and say, this is you, you're the man, this is your sin. But perhaps tonight the Holy Spirit has challenged you about a sinful spirit. Discontentment, frustration, perhaps your duty, your delight has turned into a duty. Perhaps it's a bitter spirit towards others, projecting your opinions on them. Perhaps it's a spirit of uh, criticism towards leadership or towards others, even government. Maybe tonight we'll get broken over our sin and broken over our spirit. Maybe tonight we'll go to God for restoration, realizing that we can only obtain a right spirit from God. Make it right tonight. Own our sin. Confess it to God. Ask God to restore to us the joy of our salvation. Perhaps tonight you've been so focused externally serving God that you forgot to internally be with God. Would you get your priorities right tonight? Would we be a church that's more focused primarily, number one, of seeking Christ before we try to share hope? Now, both are so important, but let's not get it wrong. We're called first to be disciples and then to be apostles. So just like the wind, I didn't walk in here tonight and you didn't walk in here. I don't know the sinful spirit that you might or may not have. I can't see it on your face. I don't see it in your eyes. It's not written on your mask. But the longer you go with that sinful spirit, the more the world will feel the effects of it. Just like the wind on the trees and just like the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the longer that sinful spirit is allowed to take root in our hearts and our minds, the world will feel the effects of it. Your family, our church, your coworkers, your boss, the people you come in contact every day will feel the effects of that sinful spirit. Or they'll feel the, the effects of your right spirit. You'll be able to go out and make a difference and share hope and to be a light in our community, be salt of the earth and a city that's set on a hill, a shining light, make a difference. Because God wants us to keep a right spirit even in a rundown world.
And so tonight, maybe God's challenged you about something in your heart. I encourage you to respond to God. Get it taken care of. Have the attitude and the, the seriousness of David to take care of that sinful spirit. Give it to God and ask him to restore unto you the joy of your salvation. You'll never find joy like you will in a sustaining and fulfilling relationship with Jesus. So maybe tonight you just need to spend some time with Jesus. Just say, God, I've been neglecting being with you. I've gone for you, but I haven't been with you. Whatever it is that God wants, I've spoken to your heart about or God wants you to respond, I hope that you'll take a minute right now to respond. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed.